0: Hi, I am Ulumide Olainka. A big hello and welcome to the Startup Lagos podcast, a podcast dedicated to highlighting the bubbling scene of the growing startup community of the city of Lagos. On the show, get to hear inspiring stories from founders, entrepreneurs, investors, corporates, and other ecosystem stakeholders. To subscribe to us, visit podcast.startuplegos.co Stay tuned with us. Stay pumped.
1: Can we have up on stage uh, Olayinka, the co-founder of Startup Week Lagos and Prime Startups, to address and open up this week of
0: activities. Thank you. Good evening, everyone. Good evening, everyone. Thank you all for coming today. Uh, my name is Olumide Olainka, Ola- um co-organizer of the Lagos Startup Week. Uh, we've been doing this for the past four years. Um, it's been a journey. Uh, one thing we deal with is oftentimes we work with the community to bring together this event. And it's something we've done for the past four years. And um, we especially thank uh, Alion France and the director on the house for supporting us for this year. It's going to be an amazing one. This theme, The theme for this year is collaboration. Together we can achieve more. It's something that um, we've always done, even right from the inception of the Startup Week itself. It's something that has helped us achieve or grown this big so far. Thank you all very much. Um, on a on final note, um, the schedule is quite um, cumbersome. Would encourage as many people to look at the schedule because tomorrow we're not going to be here. We'll be in Facebook up, and Wednesday we're back here, so you don't miss around. Thank you very much, and have a nice evening.
1: Yeah, so I'll just echo him on that. Please do go through um, the uh, quite comprehensive uh, schedule of activities over this week. There. Are, there are quite a few, um, events that, uh, are very, uh, I think relevant, especially for this time. So again, without further ado, let's call up our panelists. First up, can we have Shola Akinlade, co-founder, of PayStack, solving payment problems to help African companies become profitable and scale. Next up, can we have Peter Freikman, founder DripTech, an international water tech company that was acquired and is now looking, and he is now looking, at opportunities across Nigeria. (laughs) Next up is Damilola Thompson, Echo VC Partners, a seed early stage and growth VC fund. And last but not least, Fahim Saleh, co-founder GoKata, driving mobility across Africa. Alright guys, so we've just been talking or we've just been trying to get, uh, this Ambiance, right? Of collaboration, even even in this small room, right? Uh, with all the questions we we're asking earlier, collaboration can be hard, right? Especially in a place like Nigeria. But let's start with you guys, right? Um, so we know that respect and trust, right, breed stronger companies, right? Um, the building block, I think, is trust. How have you built that into your companies, your personal lives, or the partnerships? right, that you guys have been into. Uh, Can we start with you, Dami?
2: Hi. Um, Thank you, Shaya. Hi, everyone. Thank you for coming. Ulimidi, thanks for having me. Um, So I'd say that um, trust is something that you build over time. Um, I'd say that with marriage, um, you don't just meet someone and get married to them on the first day. You build it over a period of time by associating with the person, um, getting to know more about them, identifying with the challenges, um, and providing certain solutions as a product, um, with um, providing certain solutions to the kind of challenges that you have either experienced with them or um, you know that they have had maybe from the childhood. Um, I'd say that specific, specifically for EcoVC, the problem that we're trying to solve is access to capital. Um, we have been here since 2015. Um, have invested in over 25 startups to date um, and we're looking to do more. So I'd say that we, I mean, the startups that we have engaged, um, you know, initially, the first the first conversation that we have with them, they're trying to assess us, we're trying to assess them and just understand if our interests are aligned and if um, they are the kind of um, entrepreneurs that we want to back I and mean, we want to support. And they're also doing due diligence and also understand if, Um, were the kind of investors that they want to have. So I'd say that um, just by constant interaction and just letting them know that we identify with um, the problems that they're facing and how much we're willing to support them and just throw our weight behind them is something that we always um, put forward. Um, I'd say that for a lot of our portfolio companies, um, we are always the first people that they run to when they're having challenges. The people that we have... I mean, some of our founders that we have gone way overboard um for and the I mean I was at a board meeting to board committee meeting two two weeks ago um and one of the founders that we had invested in was commenting about how the investors that he um that had invested in his company essentially just left him, gave him money and literally just left him and he was just thanking us for always being there and just like giving him um an, um a listening um yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think I think you know that's one of the things about EcoVC, VC, right? I think collaboration has always been sort of ingrained into the way that you guys wanted to engage with the ecosystem. Yes, um, very much. So, do you find that that has worked well for you guys, right? Um, in terms of being that open, in terms of being that uh, collaborative, and and uh, really opening up or cross pollinating, right? Um, Uh, business models and technologies and and, um, that engagement with with your, um, or or the relationship between investor and startup? Like, how has that worked out for you?
2: So I'd say that's something that we try to do on set when we start engaging an entrepreneur is let them know um, what our terms are. Um, And that is typically the first thing. I mean, once we pass the due diligence phase where we're, Interesting and we know that we want to go ahead with investments. What we try to do is let them know what we would offer um, and the kind of investment terms. So everything is out in the open. So we're not trying to – there's nothing that we're trying to um, – we're not trying to sneak anything on you. We're not trying to sidetrack or trying to backtrack on, um, on, our, on our terms. I think something that we have seen with um, other investors, not in this ecosystem actually – is they give you a term sheet, um, and just when you're getting this to this stage where you're about to close out, they're like, "Oh, well, sorry, we're sorry, we cannot, we're not going to go ahead with this deal," um, and that is something that we're always very upset about because there's a lot of effort that is that has been put in by by the entrepreneur um, to get to that extent, and of course he's said no to a couple of investors, and those investors, you know, kind of. Just leave him alone. But then he has to go back to them and say, "Oh, I'm sorry. Actually, there's a there's a deal that we're doing now where this same thing has happened, um, and we're saying, you know what? Regardless of that, we're, we're willing to support you, even if you know this other investor doesn't want to go go ahead with the deal. And the deal almost got scuttled, but we just you know rally rally round to get the deal done, and hopefully it should close in a couple of days. Um, but I'd say that specifically with regards to just supporting entre- um, entrepreneurs and other people in the ecosystem, we organize and just help out with a bunch of events um, and just let people know that we're we're out there um, and that we're willing to, you know, support and just help entrepreneurs any way that we can. We have office hours, um, you know, just to listen to entrepreneurs and hear what they have to say. Um, Yeah.
1: Okay. Um, So, Peter, right, um, how would you say that, you know, as a a social impact entrepreneur, right, right, how would you? How would? You, how important has collaboration been for you, right, um, to your success and to the success of your uh, past companies? In the middle.
3: Hello, hello. Okay, um, that's an interesting question. I. I um, I'm not sure I've ever thought about collaboration in the context of social entrepreneurship and it being kind of more or less than than other, other startups. Um, I think when I when I, I think about collaboration um, in in the context of a startup, it it um, it really starts with the team um, because you know before you can collaborate outside of the team with other companies, with governments, with you know your you know your customers. Uh, you have to be able to collaborate as like a founding team and you know early early employees. And for me, I would say that that starts with understanding yourself as an entrepreneur, you know. And so really kind of understanding your strengths and weaknesses um, in mentoring other startups and also in reflecting on kind of my own startup journey. Um, I, I I realized and I saw that a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs do too many things and they do things that. Uh, they're not good at, Um, and also telling somebody that they're not good at something is not a good way to convince them to stop doing it, Um, but really uh, there are things that you do at an early stage startup because you're the only person and you're mopping the floors and you're doing the accounting and you're doing the product development, you're doing the engineering, you're doing everything, and very soon, uh, you know, if the company is going to grow and be successful, a lot of times that entrepreneur is the the bottleneck, the, the limiting factor, because they're doing things that no longer make sense for them to do. And um, so it's about understanding yourself. Um, it's about understanding what you could accomplish if you gave up certain things and learn to trust and hand those off to other people. Um, I think that the be- for me, the beginnings of being able to trust other people uh, were in understanding kind of my own limitations and also my own strengths. I think when I work with other entrepreneurs it's more effective to start with people's strengths because people tend to know what they're good at and you know and usually it's best for the company if they can double down on those activities and there are certain things that they've been doing just for legacy reasons that they don't even enjoy uh, and and they should be Handing off to someone else, and they should be cultivating that trust and delegating those things for the the ultimate good of the company.
1: Okay, tell us tell us a little bit about DripTech, right? Um, and your journey with that, and how collaboration was a part of that. In terms of maybe even coming up with the product, or even within the ecosystems that you were um, you're part of. What is DripTech?
3: Yeah. So. Um, so, so Drip Tech basically um, is uh, a, a company that um, that makes affordable irrigation equipment for small farmers. Um, so it started when I was in grad, grad school. Um, I got the chance to basically do uh, research with small, um, small plot farmers um, and, in Ethiopia. And um, we saw that they had uh, tremendous water scarcity and they had a need for the benefits of drip irrigation, but that traditional... Uh, irrigation was designed for large-scale Western agriculture. Um, So, you know, it it, it just hadn't reached 90% of the world's farmers. Um, But they had a need for uh, a more affordable system. Um, In order to make this, we had to basically develop a a, a new product and a new manufacturing technology. So we we came up with a um, a laser manufacturing system that we could put anywhere in the world, and we could make low-cost drip irrigation there. Uh, and um, so I quit my PhD I started drip tech and I and I started to build kind of the team and and um, <clears throat> you know over the course of um, you know almost seven seven eight years um, until it was uh, you know eventually acquired by the market leader in India where we were based um, uh, I had you know all sorts of <laughs> Challenges, you know, wins, losses, in terms of building the team, in terms of of basically making good and bad decisions around kind of like the people that I was collaborating with and the context, the roles that they were in. Um, for me, you know, in reflecting afterwards um, about about kind of my experience, all of the best and worst decisions I made were around team, which is fundamentally about collaboration. Um, I guess another way, since we're talking about collaboration, that you could think about about kind of Collaboration is really uh, for us was with our end customers, which were kind of like the source of of, of kind of and the reason for the whole company. Um, you know, we uh, we sold a product uh, at you know commercial terms to the end customer, and they made a tremendous return on investment. You know, our our customers would regularly invest about two hundred dollars per acre of drip irrigation and see. Uh, an increase in, in yield um, by $1,000 per year. So great great investment for these, these, these customers. And that value, that collaboration, that kind of design of the product specifically to create value for the customers, was the fundamental basis for the company, right? So that that partnership with the, with the customers, that collaboration with the customers was was what made it possible to build an organization in the first place. Okay, um,
1: we're going to come back to that uh, later. Um, so, Shola, uh, I don't know if you need an introduction, but please, I think it's as one of the um, poster childs, right, for um, this, this ecosystem, especially in a, an, uh, an industry like fintech, right? Um, can you give us a picture of your journey? Right within within the ecosystem uh, and how collaboration has played a part. You know, what does your company do? Um, for many of us who might not know.
4: All right, cool. Um, thank you so much. Um, good evening, everyone. My name is Shola Kenade. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Paystack. Uh, Paystack is a payments company, so we help merchants accept payments from their customers. We launched about three years ago. Um, actually, now three and a half years. Um, and now we help over forty thousand merchants accept over about hundred million dollars every month. So it's um, we've made some progress. Um, I think, yeah, like the journey has been very interesting. <laughs> that's, that's that's the shortest I could say. Uh, we launched Paystack because uh, before then I was just doing some work for banks, um, and I thought that the payments, like there was an opportunity to build a payments company. Um, I I didn't know what I was going to do, but I just started, um, and very quickly we got into Y Combinator. So, we got, um, as for I think is this, we got one twenty thousand dollars for seven percent of the company, which was it was a good deal as far as I was concerned. Um, and so we had to create a company, we had to create a payments company, um, and I think and the journey started, um, and I think it's it's been everywhere we've been to today has been extremely because people came to help us people came to figure the yeah hello okay cool um, my, my, my my favorite pay stack um, I won't say favorite one of my favorite pay stack stories or oh, is when I think about when we were about to get into Y combinator when we were about to launch the company um, I personally didn't think This was going to be a big deal. Um, So I was telling some people yesterday that when we went to Y Combinator, my ambition was to just take a photo in front of SFO. Welcome to San Francisco. I was like, yeah, I've been there, you know. And and because when we got there, um, so Y Combinator they invite um, startups from all over the world, probably about five hundred, and they pick the first, they pick about hundred, you know. So when we got there, I met. I knew I was going to meet people from all over the world. Um, and so one of the first companies I met, um, they were building a shirt that never gets dirty. So it's a white shirt. You pour dirty water on it. It doesn't get stained. Um, I saw someone else building, um, a bra that detects breast cancer. So you wear the bra, you install the app and it scans you. And then if there's anything, you get a push notification. And so people were asking us like, what are you guys working on? Like, I don't know. <laughs> God, was nice to say it here. Um, so we said we were working on payments, um, payments in Africa. And we're like, wow, Africa. How many people are in Africa? I'm like, one billion. Like, whoa. You know, and so I think that was the beginning of a very long journey. Um, and when I think of where we are today and how much help we've gotten from, even so when I think about on PayStack today, we... InterSwitch, I'm sure you probably know InterSwitch. It was a company that was doing... They have uh, WebPay, which is a competing product. But cards need to work on PayStack. <laughs> so, uh, so in fact, the collaboration starts from the product, you know. For our products to be successful, we need to go work with our competitors. Um, I think it starts from there. Um, we need to work with banks before PayStack... Um, most of the banks were providing payment solutions for merchants. Today, the banks—at least six banks—partner with us to provide these solutions to their customers. You know, so um, I think on the on just growing through this journey, I think the first part of the collaboration is just figuring out how to work, how to partner with somebody but still be in the same in the same space with them. I think. That's been the very first part. But I think so far, it's been very, very good. Um, I think the second part of it is, I would say, also maybe talent, you know. Um, All of us are here now. uh, We're competing for the same talent, you know. I'm sure for him is, you know. So, but again, we have an ecosystem um, and you have companies and you have talent, you know. And so, just being able to, how do we like, as a as an ecosystem, build the talent pool in the ecosystem, but still make sure that the best talents are on my own side, <laughs> not on your side. So um, I think that's the second part. Um, so it, it's fair and it's fine, you know, um, and I think that works. Um, I think like the final part to it um, for me is the future, you know. Um, I want to think of the work we're doing at Paystack. I think we're creating a future that doesn't exist, um, and I guess the the interesting part is how do you figure out your own part in that future? Because I know we're not going to solve all the problems. We're just going to do our part. Ecovis is going to do their part. Gokada will do their part, and all that. So I think just figuring out what part you have to play in that future is for me like the interesting part of it. You know, um, and and to be honest, we know that. Oh, let's just get payments. Let's remove friction around payments. Let's build the ecosystem. Let's make sure that more companies are being built. Uh, we try to do a lot on the Y Combinator side. So when we launched PayStack, we were the first Nigerian company to get into Y Combinator. Today, there are 18 Nigerian companies in three years. Um, you know, And we're not taking any credit for that. But my sense is that just being active in the ecosystem where things are thriving, it's very important. So, I guess, to summarize, this stack is a is the result of a functioning collaborative ecosystem. And I'm just glad and proud at how much progress we've made at the ecosystem.
1: Can you hear me? Okay, good. Um, I like how you talked about, you know, collaboration started at the product level, right? And because of that, um, people who you might not or who might not want to partner with you, right, had to and started looking at partnering with you, right? So, you look at the banks. You look at it into Switch, right? Um, just really briefly, um, when you look at the Nigerian factor that we talked about, right, trust being something that is a little scarce sometimes, right, how did you convince, you know, apart from the product, right, how did you convince some of these companies to work with you? And is that still something that is hard to do? Um, Are they more open now because they, you know, because of just the nature of where fintech is and banking is?
4: Um, Yeah, I I think our answer was spot on. Like, it takes time. And, And I think for Ross... It was less about convincing the company and convincing the people in the company. So when I think about one of the first banks, our primary bank, or one of our big banks now is ZeniBank. I'm going to name drop them. Um, but we got into ZeniBank through an account officer. Like we didn't even I didn't know the MD. I didn't know anybody there. You know. So you just needed somebody that could align with and say, "Guy, help us," <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, and and it worked out. You know. Um, and and there's some when I did Diamond Bank, when I met the person there, what he told me was, oh, my wife used to pay stack and she liked it, you know. So he had heard about us before. So my sense is that it takes time, but like it it also takes like just serving people as individuals, like just doing your own thing one after the other, and then with time you just build that reputation. Yeah. Okay, so that's the secret, guys. Uh, Guy,
1: help me now. <laughs> All right. Um, so, Fahim, um, I think intrinsically, right, uh, Gokata from its inception has has needed collaboration, right, to sort of uh, become what it is, right, the success that it is. And I think your journey even in the past has been um, one of collaboration. So take us, not just from Gokata, right, but take us through that journey to even coming to Nigeria and, and becoming part of this collaborative ecosystem.
5: Yeah, um, well, it's been, a, it's been a long journey here. Uh, I don't know if a lot of you know about me, but uh, I'm not from Nigeria. <laughs> I'm actually from New York, and my parents are from Bangladesh. So Nigeria is a very foreign place to me. Um, but motorcycle ride sharing kind of has a close place in my heart because I went to Bangladesh in 2014 and I started a, a venture factory. And if you guys don't know what that is, it's a, it's a incubator of sorts where you, uh, you tell people to start companies and you need to give them funding. And, uh, you know, I did that because I, I saw Bangladesh as a unique opportunity, 160 million people. Um, growing GDP 7% year-over-year year growth on GDP, very good uh, economically, but nobody was looking at it from a, a technology perspective and saying, hey, this is a country that you know you should invest in. This country has problems just like any other country. Uh, so I went there in 2014 um, with some money that I saved up from other ventures that I started in New York. And we launched a couple projects, and uh, one of the projects was a package delivery company that we called Batao, and Batao means to send, in Bengali. And that was the only one that actually did kind of well. Everything else failed miserably, and I thought, you know, I thought I was going to lose all my money, uh, and, you know, this, this, this whole thing was a mistake, just like my parents said. I should have never gone there, just stayed in New York, but... Um, but I got, you know, through my network, um, and through collaboration, you know, with my different friends and talking to them and, and, and networking with different, uh, you know, investors that they knew, I was able to, uh, get my first check, my first funding into a company. Before that, everything, everything was profit driven. This whole raising money was, was completely foreign to me. I didn't understand it. Didn't know how it worked. How does a company lose money and raise money? I bet it, it didn't make any sense to me. Uh, but, You know, we got our first check, and he kind of uh, was able to find every other connection to raise uh, more capital for that business in Bangladesh. Um, And, you know, I wasn't running the company. I just put a team together. I just networked in the Bangladeshi community. Uh, You know, I, I, I didn't grow up there, so I didn't really know anybody. It was just talking to people, having conversations, meeting people. And I was able to find really good entrepreneurs that were not given a chance uh, because, you know, for them to raise money in an environment like that, and I'm sure you guys are familiar in Nigeria, uh, you know, back in the day when you want to raise money, they used to take 60% of your company or 70% of your company, right? Is very similar in Bangladesh. Um, so for them to have a chance to own a meaningful part of their company and at the same time get funding was, was huge for them. So that company ended up raising, you know, a lot of money, you know, $20, 30000000 million, and this was... It, 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 you know, we started with logistics, but it, it turned into actual motorcycle taxis. Um, and it's funny because in Bangladesh, you know, there's no such thing as a motorcycle taxi. You know, and, you know, 160 million people, worse, no, listen to this, worse traffic than Lagos in Dhaka. Can you believe that? Worse than Lagos. That's how bad the traffic, nobody used motorcycle taxis. Nobody even thought of that as a potential, you know, business. So when we started it, people thought we were crazy. We actually had to buy our own motorcycles and, 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 and hire our own full-time drivers. But then after people realized, wow, this makes a lot of sense. I can get through traffic. It's cheaper. All these people started buying motorcycles and then it was a freelance platform. Um, so when I went back to New York, you know, I was like, okay, you know, I've done a lot of other businesses, but, you know, what kind of business in two to three years is able to create that kind of value. Uh, you know, so I, I, I wanted to see where else I could recreate this. Um uh and it was definitely not New York. So <laughs> I had to figure out what that place was. And through just some research that I did on Wikipedia, believe it or not, that's all it was. It was just literally me going on Wikipedia and looking at GDP numbers and looking at population numbers and looking at what place has a lot of traffic. You know, you know, Nigeria is number seven in most populous country. Bangladesh is number eight. Okay. And then there's like the U.S., there's like China, there's like India. I'm like, okay, none of these places make sense. So they have too much competition. Indonesia, that place already has like a $10 billion motorcycle ride sharing company called Gojek. Uh, but Nigeria, what's this? Nigeria. Nigeria. <laughs> what, what, what do I know about Nigeria? Okay. I don't want to say I mean you guys know like I'll no, I'll just say it I mean I, I I saw videos scam artists all this stuff like the, like the typical stuff and I hate to say it but that is actually you know people don't know much about Nigeria other than that uh but the numbers looked right uh and I I didn't know anybody in Nigeria so I told my parents I'm going to Nigeria <laughs> so I went over I kind of explored the terrain um Uh, I landed, I went straight to VI, uh, and I, I went to the, I went to the mainland once and kind of just looked around a little bit and then went right back to VI because I was too scared to like walk around the mainland. But what I knew was, I knew there was a lot of Okadas. I knew there was a lot of bike taxis and I knew what I read online was, was actually real. Uh, Oh, another thing I did was I also searched for, uh, Lagos and traffic on Google and there was a lot of, lot of results, lot of results. Um, so yeah, how do I form a company in Nigeria without knowing anybody in Nigeria? That was a question. Um, and there was, there was an option of what I could do in, in Bangladesh, which is network for a couple of months. You know, I had that option. Uh, but that would take a couple of months. And from what I've heard in the, the VC scene, there was already, Uh, numerous companies knocking on the door, ready to start this business. So I had to move fast. Uh, So what I decided to do was um, I made a post on LinkedIn, and I wrote, uh, you know, looking to start the next billion-dollar company in Nigeria. If you would like to join as one of the founders, please message me or link anybody that would be interested uh, and if they become part of the founding team, then I will give you a thousand dollars or a thousand dollars in Bitcoin. And I, at the end of it, I put. Uh, by the way, preferably, don't hate me. Foreign educated. And I said that because I thought somebody who had a foreign education would be like traveled or traveled around, understood what Uber was, understood tax understood you know had a more worldly sense of the view of the world. Uh, so that's why I put that in there, not thinking much of it and also like having Harvard on your, on your resume and then getting funding looks, looks good. That, so that, 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 that's where it didn't come anywhere from like a bad, bad, uh, you know, a bad side to that. But what I found was I started getting all these responses, uh, and it were mostly my friends, but then the responses I started getting were, you know, who is this guy? Like who, who does he think he is, like, not, not saying that, that we can't be from Nigerian schools and, and be part of this founding company? And then they started tagging their friends, and like, can you believe this guy? And then they started tagging their friends, and they started tagging their friends, and I'm like, oh my gosh, should I take down this post? <laughs> because I started getting a lot of just really hateful comments, um, but then you know, something funny started happening. I started getting comments from people that were tagged in the hateful comment, but they're like, hey, you know, I know somebody, Right? And <laughs> that that was my p- most popular social media post ever. Is it, it got like 400 comments? Uh, and you know, I I I I probably spoke to so out of the out, out of the 400 comments, I I had 30 people that you know I liked that I wanted to talk to based on their you know their profiles. I talked to 20 of them on Skype, uh, uh, and then I really liked 10 of them. So then I'm like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to Lagos. Uh, I met all ten of them. I liked four of them. After that, and I'm like, I this is this was in December of 2017. I, I asked them, "Are you guys ready to get started?" And uh, they're like, "You have funding." I'm like, "Yeah." They're like, "Okay, let's go." <laughs> and that's and, and that's how we started. December 20 uh, December 2017. We said we're gonna do it. January 2018. We started. Um, and I wouldn't have, you know, I, I would never be able to start this company without, without, um, those co-founders. And, you know, we, you know, we started the company January, 2018. We all lived in, oh, this is another thing. We all lived in a house together because I thought that would be a good way for us to build trust quickly. It was all about doing it quickly. How can we do it quickly? So we were all living in a house together. I got the first hand view of, you know, Nigerian living and like, these guys are loud and man, like I some of the, like, Turkey, Turkey's very popular here. Turkey's like a Thanksgiving thing in, in the U.S. I like. I was like, what? It, I don't know. Anyways, um, it was just. It was just. You know, it was just. You know, we, we got things going. Everybody built this trust, this friendship really quickly, and uh, you know, it was it was a, it was a great experience. But you know, th- there's a lot of you know ups and downs with that. But at the same time, this company would have never existed without me. You know, writing a post on LinkedIn and I actually did give you know one or two people a thousand dollars in, in Bitcoin. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Collaboration definitely, definitely happened with that, without, without Nigerian counterparts, this, this never would have happened. I wouldn't even know where to start alone here. Right.
1: Okay. So, um, just really quickly, uh, how you, you guys have a laser focus, right. On your fleet, right. I think you see your drivers, not as, not as drivers, right. Um, they're partners, Right. So they're what? They're pilots. Right. So in that sense, you know, um, you're really going at it in a different way. Right. In a really, really collaborative way. Right. Um, So how how do you build? Because now we want to talk about culture. Right. Um, How do you build like that right culture that keeps, you know, that collaborative environment, one that people feel is open and they feel respected and there is actually trust. Right.
5: No that's a, that's a great question. Um you know there's a you know the the motorcycle bike taxi space has obviously blown up since uh, January of 2018. You know I started the business with people saying, you know this will never work. And I'm like why not? It's worked everywhere else. Uh and now people are like why didn't I think of that? Right? Um but I think I think there's something very unique that we're doing. Uh and it comes from a place of, you know, honesty and truthfulness like i we really care about the drivers like we're not we're not messing around like i don't i don't i don't only do business to make money i do business because you know i want to make an impact i don't want to be on my deathbed and say and say oh i made a lot of money i want to be on my deathbed and say hey i did something right so i mean we i think everybody at the company really cares about the drivers and i think we can make a big impact and when we uh when we go out there and we have meetings with the drivers and they all come and I tell them that hey, I'm going to do something, or 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 hey, let me listen to your opinions. They, you know, I do it from a place of tr- a truth. Like I really do want to, you know, try to improve their lives. Um, so I think it's just it's just really being honest. I, even when even when I do something wrong or the company does something wrong, I'm honest. I say hey, yeah, we were actually charging you more and we didn't tell you. I, you know, I'm sorry. I, we should have actually put this out there. And they're like, oh, you were charging me more. I didn't even know. And everybody there's a whole ruckus, but they're like, hey, listen, he actually told you that he was charging more. And, that, that, and it's, it's, all, it's all just truthfulness. I'm, as long as you're not trying to do anything bad, you know, why would you not tell, say the truth, right? So I think the drivers really understand that. And I think that's how, you know, what really differs us, um, at least for the drivers, uh, from, other, from other bike taxi companies.
1: All right. Um, we're going to open it up for questions in a, in a little second. Um, that's very, very important. I want to make sure that this is uh, as collaborative as possible. Um, so, Dami, right? You guys have a really uh, amazing cohort, right, of diverse startups. How do you sort of bring all of that together? Like, do you guys um, sort of motivate founders to sort of share ideas, um, share problems, pain points? Um, do, you, do you sort of – I know you've, you've spoken about cross-pollinating but how does that work practically, right? Are some startups helping to fill the weaknesses of others? How, how, do, how do you guys really um, create that environment within your portfolio?
2: Okay, so I think that when we – before we decide to make an investment, something that we try to do is look for the gaps in the startups that we have in...
1: – Can you hear her?
2: Okay. Um, look for gaps in the startups that we have invested – and look for startups that are solving those problems. And so we already know that this startup will be a good fit for the other one. Um, And so that is also one of the drivers for us to invest in that company, and we, as much as possible, try to do everything that we can um, to make that investment. Um, I'd say that post-investment, something that we also do is we have strategy sessions with them um, just to understand what they're going through. Um, So we have an entire um, department um, called Portfolio Operations, um, that work directly with our founders to just understand their day-to-day problems um, and help them with it. So even if it was with respect to some kind of connections that they needed, um, something that maybe even is not a problem that one of our startups is solving, um, is solving, um, we'll connect them to another startup that we know that we've heard about that is you know that is solving that problem. Um, and then the other thing that we also do is we have founders. Um, founders uh, Founders Day um, every year, so it's an annual event where all our um, founders come together. We handpick some of them to give, you know, like keynote speech. We have people who have who we have um, people who are, who are on like PE firms and other VC firms to also come in to walk them through and talk them through kind of fundraising, um, and also people who are experts in their own field to do the same thing. So I'd say that that is um, something that that is something that we also sell to. Founders or to entrepreneurs that we, you know, were investing in and saying that you're not, you're not going to be going, you know, going this um, alone. We're we're in it with you all the way.
1: Okay. Um, Do we have any questions yet? Anyone itching with a couple of questions for any of the guys? Okay, I see three hands up. We'll take two right now and then uh, a few later. Okay, let's start with you. You put your hand up first. Just a short one.
6: My name is Deji. I have a question for Shola and the co-founder of GoCada. Uh, The kind of collaboration I want us to look at, the collaboration between the company and the customers in the global market. Uh, You talk about the negative narrative about African startups. So you you are building a product not just for the African market, but for the global market. How can you just, despite the uh, negative narrative that we have, how can you just? How can you sell your products to the global market beyond the African market? That's my question. Did you guys get that? Yes. How can you sell your product to the global market beyond the African market? Or um, yes. uh,
4: you um, oh, oh, from what is like? How can Paystack help? our customers sell to the global maybe markets. In
6: the Middle East, maybe in Europe and all of that. Exactly, yes.
4: exactly. Uh, no, I know, I think that's fair. Um, yeah, I, I think one of the things we're trying to do at PayStack is to make it easy for anyone to sell to anybody anywhere in the world. Uh, my sense is that the way we grow our economy is if one person can sell to everybody, Versus if you're restricted to people that are in front of you. So, uh, and there's a lot of work we're doing there. I think thankfully last year Visa actually invested in PayStack, um, Stripe invested in PayStack. So, um, from a technology and a brand perspective, there's a lot we've been doing. Um, and I think that's happening. Um, and just we're still making more progress, we're still trying to figure it out. Um, today we allow people to charge in multiple currencies too. So, you don't even have to charge in Naira, you can charge in USD. And get paid in USD if you want to get paid USD. So I think those are some of the things uh, we are doing. I think it's still a lot of work in progress, to be honest. I think um, American banks still don't like Nigerian (laughs) uh, merchants. So I think, but I think we're making progress and we're doing a lot of Israel engagement. So I guess it will keep getting better.
5: I mean um from an investment perspective it's just gonna i mean uh it's it's still a very early uh you know economy in the venture space i mean relatively i guess uh, compared to uh, compared to other countries uh, i mean as 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 the more money that Nigeria raises, the more money that Africa raises, the more eyeballs that will be on the country and honestly this is the This is the this is the last frontier, right? This is where this is where the 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 highest growth is going to happen for the longest period of time before things peter off. Um, So I mean, the eyeballs are coming, right? It's 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 going to take a while before it's you know at the level of Asia or China or or whatnot but it's important to start exploring ideas and building, you know, those future businesses now because you don't want to be left behind when, you know, the you know, all of the VCs are here and they're like, "Hey, you know, who has a team, who's doing something, right?" Um, and as far as, you know, products, I mean, I I'm not products are a little bit hard. I don't, I don't really understand tangible tangible things as much, but uh I think services uh I I see people on Upwork like, you know, uh, you know selling their services from Nigeria all the time and some of these people are making 50 60 90 dollars an hour you know it's not it's not because they're from Nigeria it's because they're skilled so i think there's platforms available out there that allows for global collaboration like upwork where if you're somebody that's talented if you're somebody that's hard working you're going to get what the global you know the global rate is um, uh, so yeah let's can, I, a can I have a question there
3: follow up on that? yeah actually um I would love to hear a little bit more since on the topic of talent. Like, what do you look for in people that you hire? Because in my experience, interviewing and hiring, you know, over 100 people. uh, In Nigeria? Not in Nigeria. No, outside of Nigeria. But I I found that uh, there were certain things that it was very hard for me to change about somebody in terms of, you know, were they trustworthy? Were they hardworking and were they creative and those were the things that i kind of focused on in my interview process because i found out that if somebody didn't wasn't aligned on those with me there was going to be a lot of friction um so like what do you guys look for in your team
5: um uh, so for for programmers specifically I always look for I think this like really applies for, for anybody. I look for somebody that's passionate about what they're doing, um, regardless of you know competition is important, but somebody that's passionate about programming or somebody that's passionate about marketing or somebody that's passionate about you know finance uh, they're not just doing it because they're going to make money, they're doing it because they actually like it uh, so that's really important for programmers specifically, I look for people that have done independent projects. Are you? Have you done something independently, not in your class, not uh, you know, not for work, but something that you've done because you wanted to do? Um, and then I, I always look for somebody who's really, really, really pushy on compensation because you know, if of course you know you want to get paid what you're worth, but if you know you're doing something you really like and you want to join this company and you think it's something you can really you know make a big impact on. If somebody's really pushing you for, you know, 10%, 5% more compensa- compensation and they won't move or they won't budge, um, it kind of gives you an idea of where their, you know, their priorities lie. Um, I think
4: for us, um, or for me, yeah, we try to answer three questions. Um, I think the first question is, do we believe you have the capacity to do the job? Um, the second question is, do we believe you will drive, you You can get the right results? You know, so one thing is to be able to get, the, have the capacity, you know, but two is to be able to, like, actually achieve the results. Um, and then number three is that, will you demonstrate pay tax values? Um, I think
3: one of which, the... Which are?
4: Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what I was about to say. Um, I think when I think about the kind of company we're building, and um, when I think about, what is going to like make us successful, um, I think it definitely won't be money because like all, so many other companies that are playing in our space have money. They have licenses. They have everything. So I think it's going to boil down to two things. What do we believe in that they don't believe in? What are we willing to do that they won't do? Um, and so very early into the company, we defined what our values were. We have six values. A, choose transparency. Um, so like the right place that person is very transparent about their work, um, about what they're thinking, Um, communicate clearly, um, embrace the mission, you know, like this is a mission, this is, like payments is broken, we have to figure it out, Um, practice kindness, because uh, of course we have to be kind, Um, pursue growth and learning, um, and insist on high standards, because payments is very high, so um, thankfully now, we're about 90 people, so there's some structure around it now, Um, we have questions that really help us answer some of those things, you know. So uh, I can give you some explore some of our interview questions <laughs> if, you, if you want to. Yeah. Um, so one of the questions we ask, uh, what I ask is like, um, what kind of people do you find it difficult to work with? Um, and so in, in the way they answer that question, um, you start like figuring out the kind of person they are. Um, another question I'd like to ask...
3: I always like to ask uh, somebody... Yeah you know, what do you think that we should be looking for um, for somebody in this role? Because if I just ask somebody what their strengths are, they say a bunch of random, (laughs) like, you know, BS. (laughs) But if I say, what do you think I should be looking for, then they actually end up, like, describing what their actual strengths are and their experience. Exactly. No, that's
4: that's correct. Uh, Also, just ask people what they're looking for in the next role, and they they describe it. So, I guess, just also pattern matching. um, Like, my newest product thinking question is like how do you design an alarm clock for a deaf person you know um, and just walk them through that like sometimes the answer is very simple sometimes the answer is very hard but it's less about the question and just more about like having like a framework for knowing uh, if the person can do the work if the person um, can deliver results and if the person can be a at person okay let's have that question from okay great
7: yeah, hi. I've got two questions, um, one for Dami, um, and then one for the rest of the panel. So my first question is, you guys have been around since 2015. I'm just wondering, um, what shift what, what shift have you seen in the marketplace? What was your view and thinking around investment back in 2015? And what is that view on investment today? So I can imagine that you guys came with a lot of optimism Back then, um, you know, where you guys are right now? What is your focus? What has changed? Um, for the rest of the panel, um, I have a question around the macroeconomics of Nigeria. Um, what keeps you up at night from a macroeconomic standpoint?
2: Thank you. Um, so I'd say that initially when we started, the thinking about the regular um coming to invest in Nigeria, you're coming with money, um and people are going to be coming at you with like different ideas and different um plans about what they want to do. Um, and I think initially our terms were very aggressive. Um, <laughs> um and so that was the thinking to okay we have investors' money, we need to get it with our lives and everything um but I think that over over the years as we have invested in in a couple of companies and just met with people who are extremely interesting and very passionate about the problem that they're trying to solve we have seen that we 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 have actually we we have relaxed our terms um, and not been as um and not been as trying to secure all all the areas allowing for more laxity um, and giving entrepreneurs more room than um than Do you we mean the protective
3: a- provisions or like the financial terms of the deal
2: sorry what did you say do
3: you mean like the protective provisions or like the financial financial terms
2: yeah. yeah i mean financial terms the cuz it's i mean it's early stage so there's not there's not much there um so just losing up around our terms um, and just come to understand the the typical Nigerian entrepreneur or the kind of entrepreneurs that we like to invest in um, and so that way we, we we know right now that our decision making is also faster because we're able to see through the kind of people the kind of entrepreneurs that we think are not right for the investment that we're offering at, at the particular stage that we are um, and just say okay, you know what' we're, you know we like you but we're not we're not a good fit right now um, and we're happy to you know continue to to work with you if you just send us updates. Um, I think that was a question.
5: That, yeah. I'm never going to talk to you again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> okay.
2: The, um, he here. The macro. What keeps, you, what keeps you going? Me or them? Everyone. Well, <laughs> what keeps you going? Um, you don't you don't die. <laughs> you don't lose our money.
7: No, sorry. Um, Let me just rephrase it again. Okay. So looking at the country, so this is Nigeria, right? Obviously, political risk, economic risk, um, socioeconomic risk. Um, what do you worry about? Like, what is the thing that, is, you, that keeps you up at night? You know, you guys are invested massively. You're hiring people. You look into the future. You've got a long long-term, long-term play here. Um, you know, what, what are the things that you, you really worry about? Okay, I
2: I think the first thing for us is devaluation, um, and that affected us in 20, 2017. Um, we had made a couple of investments. Most of the uh, startups that we had invested in were almost profitable, and then devaluation happened, and they literally just, like, halved. Um, and I think that the learning point for us at that point was diversify into, into um Startups who are solving African challenges, so they don't necessarily have to be based in Nigeria or based in um, Africa, but they have a, I mean, you you really will have a base in Africa, but you could be, you know, like a Delaware company, um, but it's solving an African problem. So I'd say that that was something that hit us, and that, that is, that has, I mean, we have kind of solved the problem, but, I mean, there are stories about another devaluation happening, you know, very soon, um, hopefully it doesn't hit too much. Um, but I'd say that that is the major, that is one major thing. The other thing I'll say is um, an entrepreneur who just after we fund decides that he wants to buy a car or he wants to buy a house. And thankfully, we haven't had any any one of those um, because I'd say that we're very picky with the, with the startups that we invest in um, and just startups who are, who are you know very focused on the problems that they're solving. Um, and you know, just don't die. Like, build. Help us to help you.
5: And help our investors, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd say for us, uh, so even if the economy, you know, goes to the toilet, for us, um, I mean, there's, there's two sides of it. I think we have a kind of business that no matter if the economy is worse, I think more people take us, right? Because we're cheaper. Uh, so they'll take it, they'll take us instead of Taxfire or Uber and the, the traffic. Is still going to be here, so uh, you know. In the, the demand side, I'm not worried about the the problem. Is uh, the 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 global economy affects valuations, and right now we've had entrepreneurs have had the uh, the advantage of you know very very little dilution or comparatively little dilution uh, compared to when when the economy uh, you know wasn't doing as well. So the valuations will definitely you know take a hit. And that will cause uh, founders like me to to have to give up more of our companies and uh, you know that's that 's unfortunate you know obviously um, but you know as long as you know my, my thing is what I try to do is I try to run a lean business I try to run a business that at some point, if we turn some levers, can be profitable so hopefully you know if that if that situation comes where the economy does uh, you know kind of go the other way, and it 's you know harder to raise capital or you have to raise capital at lower valuations that we can survive with very little capital or even uh, no capital if we 're if we 're break even um,
4: yeah, I think for us maybe two or three things um, one is infrastructure development. I think um, just because when technology people need to have like power to like charge their phones so that they can pay online you know so people need to have internet needs to work very well. Um, and all that. So I think one of the, like, can we continue to just grow? Can infrastructure, state of infrastructure continue to improve? Um, I think that is very important to us. Um, Another thing that um, I would say maybe worries me sometimes is ease of doing business. I think that just given the kind of business we do, people need to be able to, more people need to be able to do businesses for Paystack to, like, continue to grow. So, um, when I think about next year, for example, how many new businesses will be created next year? How much growth? How much can those businesses grow? You know, um, and so what? What is happening? And, and so some of those things, hey, we try to have some control of that. But half of those things, we don't have control of it. You know, so we're just hoping that more things, more opportunities, and just more things are being done to make it easy for people to be able to start uh, new businesses.
3: Yeah, uh, I would say, I, I would give kind of one example. So I just moved here and, and I moved here for a variety of reasons. I guess you could say some of them are macroeconomic. Um, you know, about uh, the opportunities that I see here and, and the environment that I see here. And like I was talking about with some of the panelists before, it's, you know, anywhere that you start a company, there are going to be problems. And... It's just a question of what problems do you want to have, um, you know, because there's problems everywhere. Um, so, like, early on at DripTech, we knew that the, that the most small plot farmers uh, were in China and India. And we did some business development in both China and India, very different countries in terms of how they operate, in terms of agriculture. And actually, our first big deal was with a local government in China, um, we got connected through an investor and we went and, you know, shook hands and had a bunch of meals and did this deal and we rolled out drip irrigation for 200 farmers in this uh, rural, rural China. Um, and it was super easy. The government wanted to do it and it happened and we got paid and everything was good. Um, and at the same time, we were looking and seeing, you know, like, okay, well, we were, we were building partnerships. We were doing distribution. We were setting up dealers in India. And we were doing kind of like a lot more legwork to get to the end customers. Um, but ultimately, we decided to um, leave China and really focus on India because um, because of uh, the business model, basically. in China is working with the government, and the government is very effective. And in India, it's selling to the farmer because, you know, all of those channels uh, actually uh, to reach the farmer exist in spite of government failings. Uh, And you can do marketing, and farmers are actually used to buying things themselves, like in India, whereas in China, you could talk to farmers all day long, and they weren't going to buy anything. They would wait for their local government to procure it and then, you know, give it to them for free. So... You know, there's a successful business selling drip irrigation to small farmers, small governments in China, but that wasn't the business that, that I wanted to build. The predictability and the business development cycle of that wasn't interesting to me. So so ultimately when you look at like at a at a, at a country like Nigeria and a city like Lagos, there are a lot of customers uh, and they have a lot of problems and there are a lot of opportunities to create value. And if you can create enough value for those customers uh, – and convince them to share some of that value with you, um, that's where you get a successful business. Um, And for me, that's a relationship that I understand, the products and end customers. And I just try to avoid the government.
1: Okay, so we'll take one more question.
6: Hello. um, Good evening, everybody. Um, My questions, um, first and foremost, is um, to... For him, Um, about a month ago, it was in the news that. Are you with me? About a month ago, um, it was the news that um, Gokada went off off the roads. Okay, yeah, at some point. So everybody was wondering what went wrong with you guys. Shut down. So please, we want you to share that experience with us. I I, I want to know that. Then again, um, for Damilola, um, you guys, Echo BC, you've been around for a while because I've had um, one or two interactions with you guys. My question is. What um, are your major criteria right now for investments? Um, what's your investment cap? And in what sectors do you actually invest? That's for you. Then again, for the general panel. But again, sure, I need you to answer this. Um, how do you value a pre-revenue fintech startup? Okay, because um, one of the major problems you have as um, a startup in this environment, especially if you're doing tech, is a violation. You're going to deal with investors every day. Who want to... I don't use the word cheat. You know, who want to possibly rip you off, okay? And you have to come up with a valuation that's actually reasonable for both parties to be able to understand. So please, for everybody on the panel, please, can you just tell us some things about um, how you value um, a pre-revenue startup as a matter of fact? Thank you.
5: Uh, You just come up with a number. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) Um, The whole whole valuation... I... You know before I you know I raised any capital, I thought this whole valu raising capital valuations, blah 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 thing was very data centric, scientific, you know, high level. I didn't understand it yet. I need to get more education or more experience. But it's literally just, you know, some VC, you know, you know, th- being interested in it. And then that, that VC has this enemy, another VC that's like, oh, I can't have you in it. Like things like that happen all the time. And it's, uh, it's, it's a lot of it is emotional. FOMO, fear of missing out. I don't want to miss out on this deal. That could become huge. Um, if you have a lot of interested parties, then you're more likely to get a higher valuation because it looks like, signaling, I guess, signaling shows, everybody else shows that they're interested in it. So they've kind of done some of the legwork for you to say, hey, this is something that's valuable. You should take a look at it. Um, and sometimes that's enough for, you know, somebody to not even do proper due diligence and just put money in. Um, it's, it's so much more emotionally driven than I, than I ever thought. You just have to figure out how to make yourself the hot girl in the room. Pardon my, my metaphor, but that's that's actually how it is. How can you make yourself... Um, whether it 's how you speak or how you present yourself or how much you network or you know the the, the way you position your startup to to make yourself look hot and 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 have VCS vie for you um, as far as uh, yeah the shutdown right uh, so yeah, the shutdown was something that actually I was thinking about for a long time, um, and actually I wasn't going to call it a shutdown. I was going to call it Gokata two point uh, and I was thinking about it for a while because what I realized was we had, you know, you know, hundreds of drivers and, you know, that's great. But a lot of these drivers, you know, were not, were not great. We didn't filter our drivers. We just, we just had, hey, come on, join as a driver. We'll train you a little bit. Um, and I'll be honest with you, like, uh, this is, you know, I'm, I'm the, you know, I took over as CEO, if many of you don't know, but prior, you know, there was a lot of metrics that were being thrown out there that weren't necessarily true. And I was just like, okay, well, you know, it's not a big deal. I mean, whatever. I mean, I'm not running a company, but I'm an investor regardless. But, you know, it's like I, I think this happens a lot actually where kind of metrics are just thrown out there and people don't actually have any real valid numbers behind it just because they wanted to make it look good. So we had like something that said we, we only accept 5% of drivers. No, no. We accepted like 80%, 70% of drivers at the time. Um, and that's, a, that's, a, that's, that was unfortunate, but that's, be, and, and because of that, our drivers were not that, were not that great, you know, they were, they were breaking laws, they were, they weren't as bad as, you know, oh, something, but they were, they were, they were, they were, they were still, in my opinion, very, very bad, they were breaking laws, they were upcharging from, you know, fares, they were, uh, not using the app, they, they didn't know how to use Google Maps, a lot of these things, I, I noticed for a long time, and I kind of just ignored it. But I'm like, I didn't feel right about that. I was, I was like, I want to build a good business. So, you know, there's, we gave drivers a chance. We told them, hey, you guys have to, like, pick up your act. You have to get your metrics up. You have to stop breaking the law, blah, blah, blah. And we put a cutoff point. And if you didn't meet the mark at that cutoff point, we're going to give you your bike. We're going to paint it black. You're gone. All right? We're only going to keep the drivers that want to be at Gokata and want to adhere to our rules and, 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 and want to actually provide a good experience because we're Gokata – uh, every driver that's out there represents our brand, right? And if one driver breaks a law, for that person, Golcada's you know a bunch bunch of drivers that break laws. So I wanted to make sure how can we have a service where every single driver we have, uh, you know, adheres to laws, you know, and drives drives you know, you know, uh, within lanes and not against traffic. All these things provides you helmet is is really well mannered, uh, looks professional. How can we make sure that that's consistent? And in order to do that, we had to, unfortunately, remove the bad drivers because as we got new drivers, what we found was they were good in the beginning, but then they learned the bad behaviors of those drivers, and they emulated it, right? So what we needed to do in order to grow was have a good set of drivers to start. So whenever we got new drivers, they emulated the good behaviors, and that just was a you know recursive cycle, um, and the the you know i was uh i was writing the blog post or i remember my designer is right behind me i was writing Gok- gokata 2.0 and i was writing the writing that entire post and i'm a big prankster i don't know if many of you know but one of my first uh, companies out of college was a prank calling app called prank dial and that made like a bunch of money and that's actually how i started everything else after that um, but i i i, I was uh, he was right behind me i'm like dude what do you think about this and i deleted gokata uh, I deleted 2.0. I was like, Gokata is shutting down, <laughs> because I, I thought it was. I thought it was funny because I was I was gonna put, hey, you know, you know, just it, it's shutting down. You know, we got so much competition. All this like, uh, all this government stuff's happening. I can't handle it anymore. I'm out of here. By the way, I'm just joking. <laughs> we're, we're we're just we're just stopping for a week and we're coming back. And I thought, you know, you know, in my in my in my thinking, there's perception and then there's the reality of things. And the perception of it would be, oh my God, Gokada shutting down. They're oh wow, like they, they couldn't do it. Oh, 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 Ope, the name that would not be named. Ope killed them, or the government was shutting them down, or whatever, or um, they couldn't get enough funding. That would okay. So that's that's what I'd have to deal with for a week. Okay, you know, it's not it's not the biggest deal. In that week, we basically got rid of the bad drivers. We retrained all our drivers. We gave them all new gear, Bluetooth helmets. You know, uh, new shoes, new bikes. I don't know if you guys saw them, but they are phenomenal. Uh, bikes, those bikes, they, you know, they barely need repair. They're Indian bikes. Uh, and they're, they're, they're awesome. Um, and we, we came back a week and a half later, and we got all this bad press. Gokata shutting down, Gokata shutting down. We got so much press, we didn't pay a dime for it. We didn't pay a dime. And what I realized very early on when I started Gokata was bad press isn't bad. Right, it was. I, 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 I want to be lean. Bad press came out. That's great. But then when we came out with all our bikes and all our and all our new drivers and that good experience, everybody was looking at us. Everybody was looking at us. And again, we paid no money. Right? People came to us. Wrote, wrote these stories, and we didn't. We didn't pay a dime. And now all of a sudden, the whole. I don't think it's fully gone yet because we don't have enough drivers on the road. But as you see, more and more drivers get on the road and the experience is just so much better than you would ever expect uh, from a bike taxi. That whole Gokata shutdown thing is going to erase away. And I think it actually, in the lo- in the long run, helped us really differentiate ourselves as the premium bike taxi brand compared to, you know, Ope or, or the others.
3: Um, on, on, on fundraising, uh, there's... Um, like Raheem said, there's, there's, it's really kind of whatever you can get people to compete over and agree on. But um, one thing that I've found kind of is uh, maybe a useful way to think about it is that, um, uh, you know, for an investor to come in, especially kind of an institutional investor to come in to a, to a kind of a round of funding, um, you know, whatever that size of the round, it's, they want a meaningful stake in the company, right? So, you know, when you look at rounds of funding that get done – you know they all tend to be for something like 20 to 40% of of the company right just and you know there's exceptions to this of course but but like most early stage venture capital rounds are for something like 20 to 40% dilution regardless of how much money is raised so in some cases it's better to just think about how much money can i raise for that amount of the company and how far can that get me? Rather than saying, okay, I need this one. You know, I'm going to try to negotiate on this percentage. Because, you know, ultimately investors, they're going to come in, they want to have a meaningful stake in the business. So it's it's actually in some ways more easier to negotiate the amount of money that that, that, that sort of like represents than, than the actual percentage. Um, but overall, I think that actually people – um, and, you know, the ecosystem uh, puts way too much emphasis on fundraising, as, and it almost becomes kind of like the end goal, you know, and, and people talk about fundraising, it's all about fundraising and, and you know, raising funds, and, and, and actually I think that the companies that focus on raising talent uh, and on creating value for their customers uh, rarely have too much trouble um, raising funds um you know ultimately funds are a tool to build a successful business that is built on team and on on customer value and that's a great segue to a plug for the talent workshop that i'm going to be leading later this week so if you want to learn more about specifically like about building high impact kind of startup teams there's look at the schedule i don't know it's friday or or maybe
5: thursday i just want to add something to that um like, there's been a lot of businesses that have raised a lot of capital, like Uber, you know, and, uh, you know, all, all, kinds of, all kinds of businesses that are losing a ton of money and have raised a bunch of capital. But you'll find that businesses that are able to do that successfully and you hear about them, those are usually the outliers. You'll, you don't hear about all the businesses that raise a ton of capital and fail miserably, right? They just go away, and we only look at Uber and we look at all these other companies, Um you know, that's, that, that is actually a strategy. A lot of, a lot of investors, and I've seen this, they're like, let's just pump the valuation, let's just grow the numbers, blah, blah, blah. Let's just, you know, just keep, growing. that's not, you know, that's not really sustainable in the long run. You have to build a real business. And I, I'd say that, you know, you could do that and you can keep raising capital and growing the numbers and losing money and keep raising capital, losing more money. And at some point, you could sell your stake and you've made a bunch of money. You know, that happens. Rarely, I'd say. Uh, Travis, for example, of Uber. Um, but what always works is a real business. Never, never doesn't work. Always works. A business that's profitable always works. So, I mean, if you want the highest chance of success, build a real business. And have really good unit economics that for every dollar you add, you make more than a dollar. And that always works. So, you know, just follow common sense, do not go with uh, the herd, think for yourself. Uh, I thought I was going crazy when Batau, even though I made a good amount of money on it, was losing boatloads of money, uh, millions a month, and it made uh, I made more money on that company than I ever did on, from all the profitable companies I, I have in the past. And I actually got very lucky, honestly. I'll, I'll tell you honestly, I did. Uh, because if we didn't have the the right investor connections, if we didn't have the right appeal, if we weren't at the right place at the right time, we it would have never happened, honestly. Uh, but, you know, I built all these other businesses in the past, apps. I built, you know, apps when I was in high school, apps when I was in college, prank calling app, $0 startup, maybe a $100 from birthday money or something like that. But that app made $10 million in 10 years, right? It's possible. Just think differently. Be lean. Don't follow the herd. And, uh, you know, the Internet's out there. Things are cheaper than ever to do. It's, it's, it really is possible.
1: Okay, just really quickly um... – so in that vein, let's talk uh, problems and barriers right, to uh, collaboration. So are there, any, um, are there any barriers to collaboration that you guys see in this ecosystem that could potentially hurt your company um, as you try to scale? Or are there any lessons um, that uh, you might have learned from failed partnerships with companies, co-founders, investors, um, any of the partnerships that you had to jump into? Right.
5: Okada? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll tell you the story of how I found those, fa- how I put that founding team together, and I'll also tell you the story how we fell apart, okay? Uh, I put a founding team together, I gave them all, you know, uh, equity, a significant amount of equity, the same amount of equity as I had, actually. Um, even though I put in all the capital and I was still spending you know I was on the ground in the business uh, and I gave them all great salaries i gave i think this i think I gave you know each person like three thousand dollars a month or something a lot a lot of money you know you know I, I knew that was a lot, but I was like okay whatever they 'll do a good job, they have equity they 'll be motivated quickly. I found that uh, well not quickly, but uh, I slowly found money was missing right, and uh, it quickly became apparent to me that you know, just because you give somebody equity or just because you give somebody a great salary doesn't mean that you can trust them, right? You can, you gotta, you gotta still be careful. You gotta still put in your pro, you gotta still put in those processes in place. Um, and I, and I, you know, I say that with, you know, uh, I don't say that in the, in the worst way because yeah, we, we lost some money, but honestly, you know, that those guys that, you know, helped start the company, I wouldn't have been here without them. Right. So, uh, you know, it happened, man, so many ups and downs with that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's something that always happens with co-founders, you know, relationships stumble, things happen like that. Uh, and it, it's, it's honestly made me a more knowledgeable investor in Nigeria and a founder, figuring out where all the, you know, where all the money can be lost and kind of just tightening it down. Um, but yeah that's uh that's definitely one of the big ones for me at at Gokata. Yeah, um, any barriers
1: any anything yeah. that you think uh yeah.
4: um, regulation is one that maybe um yeah so I, I don't have any stories yet. Um <laughs> hopefully not. <laughs> exactly. But I think um I think when when I, I think when we do, when we try to collaborate I really try to figure out if it's the right collaboration if we're adding value um, I think to be honest and and I'm glad you're talking about this I think it's easy to say collaboration like it's easy that's the easiest part of collaboration mm. when it's time to actually collaborate and <laughs> do the work uh, that's when the when it starts becoming clear that um, it's not like necessary mm. or one part is not doing their part so my sense is that some of the things I learned very early is that a like if it's somebody that is bigger than you and you they like yeah. once the once it's not balanced, then maybe you don't need to overdo it, you know. Just do your thing. You know, I know this sounds very counterintuitive, but I think you shouldn't just collaborate for the sake of collaboration. Like you should collaborate because um, both of you are exchanging value. So um, yeah, so I think I, I, I think that principle has really helped us. Um and
3: yeah. I'd like to build on that, actually. Um, so so the idea of kind of doing the work, I think. So So when we when we first developed this technology for drip tech, we thought, okay, we have this manufacturing technology. It's a sweet laser machine. You know, we can make the best, lowest cost drip irrigation. We're just going to, like, license this. And, you know, drip irrigation companies are going to buy it, and they're going to distribute this. And we started looking into it, and we realized, well, you know, drip irrigation companies don't know how to – Make this product. They don't know how to sell this product to this customer in this in these locations. So, okay, we're going to have to actually use it ourselves, set up our own factory, and we'll make this product. And then we'll give the product to, to distribution companies. The distribution companies will deal with like the customers. And it turned out there weren't distribution companies that really knew how to explain this product. And the value of this product, and go to the farmer's field and, and do the installation. And so then you know ultimately the, end, the the end of the story is, you know, me running a company in India with like rural sales officers running around on motorcycles selling drip irrigation direct to small farmers because ultimately you have to kind of do the work, you have to do everything. And I when I when I talk to talk to entrepreneurs, you know, and I one of the ways I can tell whether or not they have been involved in something real before is whether they realize how much work it's going to be. Or whether they think that they're gonna be just like a build an app that's like a platform and oh I'm gonna make this thing and then I'm gonna uh, and then and then once I make it then I'm gonna sell it to the telcos and the telcos are going to distribute it. Or like the oil company, they'll figure out how to like get it to customers. These big companies don't know how to get stuff to end users. They can put it on the shelf, but they're not gonna sell your product for you. So when you're thinking about like building a company I don't know. Maybe some. Maybe it's good not to know how much work it's going to be, <laughs> because maybe then you'd never do it. But <laughs> I don't know. But uh, when I'm when I'm looking at this next opportunity, I think a lot of the a lot of the opportunities are where people are like, "Oh, that's too hard. That's too operationally intensive." That's where the opportunities are, on on actually engaging directly with customers, on doing kind of last mile distribution, on like solving the real problems for the people for you know the end the end user and there's very little value in kind of playing it safe and being like uh, oh i mean we're we're gonna aggregate demand and then we're gonna connect them to the like the local service per- person who's gonna actually like you know connect it's like there's 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 too many people already trying to do that and there's no there's no differentiation so kind of do the work and then, and the thing is, it's hard to find people who are willing to do the work. And when you're starting a company, uh, one of kind of like my biggest talent insights is that um, is that you can almost never find somebody who's done it before, who's willing to join your company. If they've done it before, then they're already too expensive for you, you know, and they don't want to kind of get in on the ground floor and do it again, almost always. and even if even if you could get them on board, the, the, it's not necessarily a good idea because um, they may not have, you know, anything to prove. They may, it may be hard for you to work with them in, in a team dynamic. Um, but they might be a great advisor. They might be a great mentor. And oftentimes, finding somebody who has potential and is willing to work hard and who has something to prove and then pairing them with the mentor or advisor is actually the best way the best way and the only way that you can, you can build a team at like a startup.
5: Um, yeah. I'm just going to add that, uh, I think we were talking about this earlier about collaboration being great, but also how collaboration can be bad in some instances. Like, uh, you know, one of the things I hate are, our meetings, like excessive meetings, uh, meetings that are an hour, two hours, three hours long. Um, you know, they just are not productive. If you don't, if you have, if you have a meeting and it's not, if everybody can't if everybody can't provide input at that meeting or if everybody is not prepared to provide input at that meeting that is an inefficient meeting. You know, a meeting should be at half an hour an hour. I think and, and, and so that I mean I think that's you know one of the one of the ways like that collaboration can be hurtful for a company. If every if every day, if every other day you have the entire company talk about all the different parts of the company, it's not going to be very, you know, it's not going to be very efficient and you're not going to get a lot of stuff done. Um, Aside from that, uh, I should have one other thought? Um. Yeah, let me let me let me
1: ask, um, and and Dami for, for for you as well. Um, one thing that we see right is the industry has to tell its own stories, right? So any any ecosystem that is growing, right, has to come together to tell its own stories, right? Um, increasingly, you're seeing tech come under fire right From government policy um, from governments who have woken up to disruptive power right of, of technology to um, sort of shift power bases right um, from Silicon Valley to Europe right I mean we're seeing this like every day and even down here as well right um, so how do you see that playing in terms of how I know CC hub sometimes have tried to has tried to bring the ecosystem together to sort of Tell our side of the story towards government uh, and policies. Maybe that don't make any sense for us. Um, how 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 do you see that playing out, and how can we do more of that?
2: So I'd say um, historically, we as much as possible try to avoid um, startups that are heavily regulated because the Nigerian system is so unpredictable. Um, can you hear her? Okay. Um, it's so unpredictable. Um, so, I mean, we've only done one fintech deal, and that's because we they're not as you know heavily regulated as you know Paystack um, and even uh, GoKara and all the other guys. It's just we try to just look at where they're going and just like let's see you know what the government is going to do before we invest, and that's not because we're not you know risk takers. It's just. We know the Nigerian government, and I mean, we've had our own share of dealing with the Nigerian government. So we just, as much as possible, um, just watch and then decide whether or not we want to go in. Um, I'd say that I mean, the government's participation has not been very impressive. Um, the last government, Lagos State government governor, um, I'd say, did a fantastic work with just helping to understand, you know, entrepreneurship and helping to build hubs around Lagos. Um, I'm not sure about this governor, and we're still waiting to see what he's going to do. The federal government is in a cloud of their own, so I, I, yeah, I don't really have an opinion. I'm just, you know, we're just waiting to see. Yeah. Anyone
1: else have a
4: shot at that? Yeah. I, I, I think that's the advantage of an ecosystem. So I've had some people tell me that, you know, what, don't fight, we will fight for you, Um, because sometimes you can't be the one playing and the one fighting. and so I think, and I, and when I was talking about it earlier, that like everybody realizes their part to play. Um, I think, I think there's progress. I think the way the ecosystem is structured, I'm, I'm not, I'm convinced that all the different parts are there. You know, we have yeah. So my sense is that yes, it's still very early, but I think we have the basic parts sorted. So. I'm not like I'm convinced that if the government turns off the internet tonight, like all of us are gone i hope so um, <laughs> so yeah so like i'm 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 convinced that there's there's a structure that can come out if if things get uh bad um, yeah so
1: okay so um with that I'd like to say thank you very much. Um this has been an amazing uh and very diverse um uh panel. Um I think collaboration is easy to say, right? As you said, it's very easy to say and it sounds nice, right? But in practice it's it's quite difficult, right? Um especially in an environment like this. But one thing is sure, right? It's a key to the next phase of our ecosystem. Um and we will be the much stronger um, for it. So I want to thank you um, to our great panelists and um, even more so to our great audience. Thank you and good night.
2: Thank you for joining us. Stay tuned to our next episode. Subscribe to us at Startup Lagos on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. Visit us at www.startuplagos.co.